Uh, welcome, kids. As David said, great to have our family gathering uh, a few times a year, but really, we want the kids here as much as possible, and now that we have more room, it's more possible. Uh, today, we are going to be starting a new series. Uh, this series is called The Holy Spirit, A Brief Introduction. Uh, we say a brief introduction because uh, it's only going to be five weeks long, so it's relatively brief, uh, but also because... You know, the Holy Spirit is God, and so there's always going to be more to say, uh, more to know, more to experience, and that really is the goal of this series. It's kind of the whole point, that we, we are hoping, we want to know the Holy Spirit more fully and experience Him in a powerful way. So I think there are two different ways we could go about this in terms of knowing the Holy Spirit. The first way I would describe as like the safe way, and then there's the other way. Uh, so the safe way would be to think of the Holy Spirit like we're doing a school project. And you know a school, you know, research project, kids, you probably know this, you get a historical figure, Martin Luther King Jr., John A. McDonald, someone, and you study them. You get lots of information about them. You find out the impact they had on other people's lives. You find out uh, some quotes about them. You put it all on a poster board, and then you're done. And it's very informative, but it's fairly safe because that figure, that person, is sort of at a distance, right? I mean, they're, they're out there in history or out there in the world somewhere, so that there's kind of a safety-ness. Uh, the other reason it's kind of safe is because, you know, even a school project about God usually does not change our lives, just, just knowing uh, the subject. The other way, the less safe way, is to recognize the truth that the Holy Spirit is not some distant entity out there, but the Holy Spirit is with us here, with us now, within us, even if, if we are believers. The other way is to recognize that uh, as we seek to know him more fully and are, and are open to his leading in our lives, we will be changed in the process. Not according to our will, but according to his will. And not for our glory, or even for his glory, but for the glory of Jesus. Because that's always what happens when human beings genuinely encounter the Spirit of God is that we are drawn nearer to Christ. So we're going we're gonna to start where kind of it all starts, in the book of Acts, where the, the early church, the apostles are waiting. Jesus has been crucified, resurrected. He's gone up to heaven and he said, wait, I'm sending you a helper. I'm sending you the Spirit of God. And so they're, they're waiting. They're kind of not sure what's going to happen. And here's what happens. So here's Acts uh, 2. I think it says 1 on the slide, but it's actually 2. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So at that moment, they're filled with a spiritual power, the Spirit himself comes down, and now things change. Peter, who not long ago was kind of cowering, didn't want to be associated with Jesus at all, now he goes forth and, and, he, and he preaches this Christ-exalting sermon. He says to the crowds that are there in Jerusalem, this Jesus of Nazareth, who you crucified, was actually crucified according to the plan of God. And he goes all the way back to like King David, gives kind of a redemptive history, exhorts them to know Christ as their Savior. And here's the response. Acts 2.36. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? 
And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So those who received his word were baptized and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. So big change, right? The disciples went from cowering in a room, hidden from the public eye, very safe, to this public declaration of the gospel. A lot less safe, but a lot more glorious, life-giving, powerful. And that's what the Spirit does. That's who the Spirit is. To know him and to be filled by him is to be drawn near to Jesus, to be changed in dramatic ways, and to be used in powerful ways. Now, depending on your background, uh, focusing on the Holy Spirit in this way could make you uh, feel a little bit excited or maybe a little nervous, okay? Uh, if you have a more of a charismatic background, you're probably very excited, right? You probably maybe saw that we were doing this series and you're, you're here this morning. You're like, this is fantastic. Finally, the good stuff. Finally, we're getting to the good stuff. I have my praise flag, I have my tambourine. I'm ready to go in case the revival breaks out. Let's do it. Very excited. There are others uh, of us who are a little, little nervous, perhaps. Maybe if you have more of a word-based background, you're a little nervous. You know, there's part of you that kind of wishes that the Trinity was the Father and the Son and the Holy Scriptures, right? That would just be a lot more tame, a lot easier to handle. And I would, I would say that's kind of my leaning. As I came to Christ in my teens at a, at a church that had a very high view of Scripture, praise God for it, taught on all the parts of theology, all the parts of God taught on the Holy Spirit, gifts of the Spirit, but we did not see a lot of manifestations of the supernatural gifts of the Spirit. And there was a tendency, sort of a sense, that the right approach would be to find a healthy balance between the Word and the Spirit. Amen. But I've been challenged a bit by that. And here's something recently that, that, that challenged a bit of this idea that we just want, want to balance. Uh, this is from a book by Francis Chan, a faithful pastor and teacher. Uh, he wrote a book called Forgotten God. Good book, great book actually, about the Holy Spirit. And here's what he says in his introduction. He says, when we are referring to God, balance is a huge mistake. God is not just one thing we add to the mix called life. He wants an invitation from us to permeate everything and every part of us. In the same way, seeking a healthy balance of the Holy Spirit assumes that there are some who have too much Holy Spirit and others who have too little. I have yet to meet anyone with too much Holy Spirit. Granted, I've met many who talk about him too much, but none who are actually overfilled with his presence. So he's saying we all need more of the Spirit. And I believe that to be true. In fact, that's what we see in the Word of God. Here's Ephesians 5, 18 to 20. Paul writes to the church, he says, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing, making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We need to know him more. We need to embrace the changes that he brings because those changes always draw us nearer to Jesus. That's, that's the goal of the Spirit, as we're going to see in our lives. So, so we're not going to play it safe, but we are going to anchor our series, as we always do, in the Word of God, because the Bible is our authority for all things, life, faith, God himself. And to put everyone at ease, we are still going to have sermon points, so don't worry. In fact, some of you have sheets in front of you. We have four points today about the Holy Spirit. But before we get there, I would I'd like to pause again for prayer. 
and ask for the Spirit of God who is here amongst us to move in us as we learn about him. So let's pray. Holy Spirit, I am thankful that you are here. Thankful for your ministry in our lives and in our church. I pray that you would move amongst us. I pray that you would open our minds, open our hearts to understand you more fully, and that through that we would come to see how wonderful you are and how you point us again and again to Jesus, the Son. And so I pray now that you would, you would move, you would kindle a, a desire in us to be moved by you. And I pray you'd help me, in spite of my own sin, to be faithful to what we find in the text about you. In Jesus' name, I pray these things. Amen. So first thing, kids, if you have your sheets, first thing, the Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit is a person. He is a he, not an it. So uh, recently, we have been uh, watching through the Star Wars movies. Thomas has not yet seen all of them. I don't want to be a negligent father, so I'm making sure that we get through all of them. Uh, so recent, the one we watched just this past week is episode seven, The Force Awakens. It's one of the good ones. Episode eight, not so good. Episode seven, pretty good. There's a scene in it uh, where Han Solo is explaining the Force. And that's because at this point, the Force has kind of been forgotten. Jedis have been forgotten. So he's explaining it to Finn and to Rey. And he, and he explains it the way that we kind of know the Star Wars Force, what it is. It's this energy field that permeates everything, connects everything, holds good and evil together. And every time I hear it, it always sounds, it sounds so cool, right? Not just because there's like Jedis and cloaks and lightsabers, but because this idea of, a, of an impersonal force is very attractive because it's this like power source that you could, you could tap into. It is just kind of out there somewhere and that it's up to us in terms of how to use it in a sense. But what we need to be clear about is that that is not what we're talking about when we talk about the spirit of God. The spirit of God is not in it. It's, it's not just this impersonal kind of energy field that we can tap into to do the things that we want to do. He is a person. He has ideas. He has a plan. And it's important that we refer to him the way the Bible does, which is he. He's a person. So let's look and see some of the things that remind us that the Holy Spirit is a, is a person, a him rather than an it. Uh, he has his own mind. That's one thing that's very clear and stated explicitly in the scripture. Romans 8, 26 and 27 Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So we see very clearly, the Spirit is a person, he's a him. It's very encouraging also to note that he does have his own mind. It, it's better, in fact, than that he's just this impersonal sort of power force because, as it said in that, says in that verse, there are times when we know we need God's help, but we, we don't know what we should pray for. Or, or we're maybe praying and we don't realize it, but it's the wrong thing. I'm not sure if you've been in that situation. Lord, I can see there's a problem. I know I need, it's out of my control, but I don't know what to pray for. What we see here is that the Spirit has a mind of his own and he knows the will of God. He knows us well and so he prays according to his plan for our lives. This is a very good thing. If he was just a energy force or just like a power source, that would mean that we would have to try to harness that and then use it according to what we think is best 
And if you look at our history, we rarely know what's best. And so we would be trying to wield this power of God in a way, and we would make all sorts of mistakes. We would wreak havoc in our lives. How encouraging is it that the Spirit knows us like a good friend, but he also knows the will of God, and so he prays for us in the perfect way. We can trust his leading because he has a mind for us. He's thinking of us and knowing what's good for us. So he's a he, he has a mind of his own, and he has emotions. That's the third thing. He has emotions. Ephesians 4, 30 and 32. It says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. So here we see very clearly that our sin grieves the Spirit, makes him sad, makes him sorrowful. Might be strange. I'm not sure what you think about this, but... Sometimes it's strange to think about God as an emotional being. Uh, But he is. Not not emotional like his emotions get the better of him, like us. But but emotional in the sense that he feels things. And I wonder if you ever think about that. Do you ever think to yourself about what it is that makes God sorrowful, makes him sad? Sometimes wonder what kind of a difference it would make in the church if we were grieved about the same things that God is grieved about. I mean, if you, think about, if you think about it, if there was someone in your life that you were in relationship with, like a friend, and you were doing things that were grieving them, that were bringing sadness into life, but you didn't care about it, that, that would be strange. That would strain that relationship. And yet that's oftentimes the way that we behave. See, it's a good thing for us to be motivated by the feelings of others, especially if they love us, especially if they want good for us. And especially if the things that they are grieved about are actually harmful to us. But it's easier to ignore all of that if we think of the spirit as just some sort of nebulous, intangible, spiritual something out there. Rather than a person to be known and to be known by. And and that's who he is. He is a person. As we move through the series, we're going to see we can talk to him, we can pray to him, we can listen for his voice, we can feel his leading in our lives, similar to a good friend who loves us. But the key in all of this is that we test everything according to the word of God. Because there are other spirits out there who are not holy, who are not good for us. And so we need to make sure that we bring everything to the word of God, that the spirit of God inspired and then, and then go where he leads. So the spirit is a person. First thing. Second thing, not in terms of order of importance, but just second thing in order, is that the Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit is God. Our God is a Trinitarian God. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Three distinct persons with perfect unity, identical natures, different roles, different personalities. This is something, if you're, if you're new here with us, new to the church, this is something that is impossible to grasp fully, but that this is how God reveals himself in the Bible. One God in three persons. Now, the Holy Spirit doesn't get quite as much airtime in the Bible as God the Father or God the Son, but he's fine with that, by the way. We're going to see that. It doesn't bother him at all. But it's very clear still that he is equally divine. There's a few different places where we, where we see this, but one of them very clearly is also in the book of Acts. Uh, this is in the early church again, and the, the church is feeling 
compelled to share everything, to sell their stuff and share it with each other. Some people are selling property, bringing the money to the church. And there's a married couple that get it into their heads that they're going to sell some property and they're going to tell the church they're giving all the money to the church, but they're going to keep some for themselves. So they're deceiving everyone. And look at the response. Here's Acts chapter five. But Peter said to them, her name's Ananias and Sapphira. He said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. It was pretty clear. To lie to the Holy Spirit is to lie to God because he is God. That's why Jesus tells us to go and make disciples and baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit because they are all equally divine. And we see the divine nature of the Holy Spirit revealed in Scripture. So let's look at a few more things that we might get a fuller understanding of who he is. We see in Scripture very clearly that he is all-knowing. He's omniscient. Here's 1 Corinthians 2, 10 to 11. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. If you know God's thoughts, you know everything. And the Spirit of God knows the thoughts of God because he is God. He is omniscient. He is all-knowing, which is such a blessing because he's the one who's praying for us, interceding for us. It's wonderful. Next thing we see is that he is all-powerful. He's omnipotent. Uh, this is a little part in the Christmas story. Mary's been told she's going to have a child. She's thinking, I haven't been with anyone. How is this going to work? Luke 1, 34 and 35. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. So it's a great example of the power of the Holy Spirit. It's the power of the Most High. But also here we see the Trinity revealed. Right? We, see the, we see the Holy Spirit, the Most High God, that's God the Father, and then the Son. That's just how God is spoken about in Scripture. Something we don't often think about is that the Holy Spirit also is a creator God. Here's Psalm 104, verse 24. O Lord, how manifold are your works. In wisdom you have made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. When you send forth your spirit, they are created, and you renew the face of the ground. You see this also in Genesis, right? In that time of creation, the Spirit of God hovers above the waters. So the Holy Spirit is creator God, powerful, all-knowing, and of course, holy. It's not just his name, it's his nature. He's, he's perfect, he's pure, he's righteous, he's divine. He's God, which makes the next thing that we learn about the Holy Spirit all the more incredible. Just, just mind-boggling, and that is this, third point. The Holy Spirit dwells within us. Holy Spirit dwells within us, lives within us. This is stated just as a plain fact for every Christian in Scripture. Here's 1 Corinthians 3.16. Do you not know that you, Christian, are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? So if you're new to the church, uh, if you're just maybe wondering what Christianity teaches, what it's all about, I can understand you would think this sounds very strange. Like, this is kind of wacky, that this all-powerful, all-knowing God would take up somehow residence within us, within our, our bodies, our arthritic, you know, 
painful, acne-prone bodies, right? Like that, that, that's where God would choose. It seems strange, but that is an essential component of what it means to be a Christian. In fact, that is the only way to become a Christian. Jesus made this very clear in his ministry leading up to the cross. He was teaching about the kingdom of God, telling people how to draw near to the Lord. And one of the religious leaders at the time, Nicodemus, probably know this famous scene. He comes to Jesus by night and wants to know, like, what, what exactly are you talking about? And Jesus says some things that kind of confuses him even more. But as we look back, we can see exactly what he's talking about. So here's John chapter 3. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. So from our point of view as, as human beings, coming to faith means that we hear the gospel. We hear information about Jesus, about his crucifixion, about his resurrection, and then we decide, like, I believe that. I believe that's true. I want to follow Jesus. And that is what happens. But spiritually speaking, what we're seeing here is that our faith is only possible because the Spirit of God gives us new life, o opens the eyes of our heart to, to believe, so that we can believe. He gives, we're dead spiritually, then we're alive, then everything changes. So it's, we're born again, we're new creations by the power of the Holy Spirit. He is the one who opens the eyes of our hearts to see sin for what it truly is, see our need for help. He's the one who prompts us, enables us even to repent. He's the one who reveals the beauty of Jesus so that we want to honor him with our lives. He's the one who applies the work of Christ to our lives for salvation. And he is the one who remains within us to accomplish the work of sanctification, to grow us in holiness, to grow us in godliness. And all of that happens from within. This is a key distinction of Christianity. Lots of other religious faiths have moral guidelines. They have moral um, imperatives, spiritual disciplines that are designed to bring peace. But they are all imposed from the outside in. I remember uh, one time visiting a Zen Buddhist temple. Uh, this is, I went to Japan with a school trip, great trip. We saw all these temples, but one of them, the one I remember the most, is they were teaching us what it looks like uh, to, to, to meditate, to have spiritual meditation. So they were explaining, they had all of us sit down on the floor of this temple, and you're supposed to cross your legs, and they were explaining, you, know, you empty your mind, you're, you're trying to find the sense of enlightenment and peace. Uh, but what they also had was someone walking around the room, and this is what they would do, because if you were really trying to find enlightenment from a Buddhist point of view, it's been hours meditating and people would fall asleep. So they have, would someone walk around with a bamboo pole and they did this, but they would come and they would whack you <laughs> with a pole. It wouldn't like leave a bruise, but it would sting and you'd wake up. And, and that's because the spiritual discipline was, they, they believed that there was a peace that could be achieved, but it was through external effort, right? That you had to just be disciplined enough. And that's sometimes what people think of when they think of Christianity, and they think that there's these list of rules, these commandments, and that you need to follow them all, right? Work hard, discipline yourself, and then if you do that, you will achieve some measure of peace with God. But actually, it's the exact opposite, right? It's God who works within us. 
Which is, which is great news because if it was up to us, we would all be out of, we'd have no hope. Because what the Bible makes very clear and what the world makes very clear is that on our own, we are spiritually dead. We're like a car with a dead battery. I mean, you, you can push that car. You can get it going down a hill. You can get some speed, but no one is under the impression that car actually has any power in it because it's got a dead battery. There's no life in it. We are like that. We need renewal from the inside out. And that's exactly what the Spirit does. He fills us with his presence, bringing new life and a new way of living. And in fact, his presence is how we know that we are saved. It's like a seal, a guarantee. Look at, look at the language here in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 21. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. He's saying part of the way that we know that we're actually alive in Christ that we're spiritually alive people, that we're people of God, is because the Holy Spirit is at work, convicting us, leading us. It's part of the way we have an assurance that we're not on our own. We're not just have figments of our imagination. God is actually at work because his spirit dwells within us. Which brings us to point number four. Our final point, most important point, I think, in terms of application, which is this. The Holy Spirit should make a difference in our lives should make a difference. Now, logically, uh, this just makes sense, right? If he's God, if he has the power of God, if he's already made us alive spiritually, if he continues to dwell within us, then how can our lives not change? How, how could we not see a difference? If you've got a, a new battery and you put it in the car and you turn the ignition, there's going to be power, right? We, we should be people of spiritual power. We should be people manifesting the gifts of the spirit in powerful ways, which you might say, okay, hang on for a minute there, Matt. What are we, what are we talking about here? We're we talking about tongues, we're talking about words of prophecy, talking about healing. Are you saying that, that to be a Christian, you need to manifest these kinds of gifts? No, that's not what I'm saying. Every Christian has a spiritual gift. We're not all going to have those kinds of gifts. That's not the mark of spirituality that sometimes people make it out to be. What marks us is a pattern of life following the Spirit's lead, relying on the Spirit's power to glorify Jesus at every opportunity. That's, that's the difference that people should see in our lives and they should be able to see it. It's not just something that we say, it's, it's how we live. You might wonder, well, what, like, what would be an example? So here's a couple. Here's a story from that book, Forgotten God. Francis Chan tells a story about this couple in his church. Their names are Thomas and Jen Yun. Uh, he said he met Thomas when he went to his restaurant. Thomas is a high-level chef, very ritzy steakhouse. Uh, it was Thomas's restaurant, so we got a gift card, went there with his wife. Thomas came out from the back, was talking with him, was telling Francis about the restaurant. He said, we're so thankful. The restaurant's doing very, very well. He said, in a couple of years, I'm going to be able to get all the money I invested in this restaurant out of it again, plus a bonus. So thankful. The only thing is, I'm feeling this call of God to, to make a change before the two years is up. And I'm just, he's wrestling with it. I'm feeling this call of God to a new ministry. And he and his wife prayed about it, thought about it, and, and in fact, they made a change. They surprised the investors of the restaurant by turning their back on the restaurant, turning their back on the money they could have gotten, and he went and took a position at the local rescue mission. He felt this, this sense that the Spirit was leading him to go and to cook 
for the, the homeless of the city, the drug addicts of the city. He started like a little culinary school where those who were trying to rebuild their life, he would teach them how to cook, get them jobs in, in local restaurants, which is amazing. But I think many of us would say, if you're just looking at that, like, why would you, why would you do that? Right? Why would, you, why would you make that kind of a change at that time? And, and the only answer that he would be able to give is he felt the call of the Spirit of God. And he listened. And that, I think, is a good question for us. Is there anything in our lives where it can only be explained by the presence of the Spirit of God? Like, apart from what we do here on a Sunday morning, is there anything about the way that we live that the only real explanation we can give is just, I felt the Spirit of God leading me in this direction. I felt God leading me to do this. Here's another example of what this kind of a difference would look like. Domingo and Irene Garcia. He's a mechanic. She is a hairdresser. Ten years into their marriage, they were on the brink of divorce. Domingo was an abusive alcoholic. Irene was just done. She was ready to leave, and yet someone invited her to church. She came to faith. She started praying to God, please do something in my husband's life. Please give me a, a new husband. Change him. And by the grace of God, Domingo came to faith. Their marriage changed in a dramatic way, but their family also changed because shortly after that, they adopted a little girl and they felt called to a ministry of fostering and adoption. So here's a picture of their family now. Over the years, they have fostered uh, 32 children. They've adopted 16 kids. This is them in their early 60s and they still have 11 children in their home. And no offense, kids, but why would anyone do that? <laughs> like, why, why would you... Put yourself on a pathway in your life to never have enough money, never have enough time, never have enough energy to be always exhausted, even into your, into your twilight years. Why would you do that? And the answer they would give is they, they felt led by the Spirit. They, they saw in the Bible the care for orphans, and they said, God, you're calling us to that. There's amazing stories in their, in their testimony of times when they wanted to adopt more kids. They didn't have room. They would pray for it. And then someone in their church, a contract, would come up and say, I think I'm supposed to talk to you about something. They, would build a, they built an addition to their house so they could take in more kids. God is at work. People looking at their lives would have to say, man, there's something different, and I don't understand it. And they would say the only way to explain it is that we're, we're following God. We're following the Spirit of God. To which you might say, okay, Matt, okay, I get it. I get it. There are people out there that are more spiritual than I am. They're better Christians than I am. Thank you for reminding me that this morning. It's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that the same Spirit that was at work in their lives is at work in us. And he wants to do the same kinds of things in us and through us. That's his, that's his whole deal. He wants to grow us in Christ-likeness. He wants us to glorify Jesus with our lives. He wants to accomplish the will of God in our lives to lead us into places where we have to rely completely on God and, and do amazing things by the power of God. This is what he wants to do. The only question for us is, do we really want that? Like, is that what excites us as we think of our future here on this earth? Is that what motivates us? Of, of getting a sense of where the Spirit is leading? And, and this is an important question because what you might have noticed is that following the Spirit can be very disruptive to our lives, especially if we are living relatively safe, 
comfortable lives. I mean, think of, again, the disciples, right? The apostles, they, they, they went from a fairly safe, I mean, with Jesus, it wasn't always safe, but then when he was alive, he was resurrected, they're like, okay, we have the hope, he is the Messiah. But then they were called to a public ministry and they were persecuted. They went through trials, they went through opposition. It was a much more difficult life than being a fisherman or even a tax collector, or whatever else they were doing. But look at the fruit. Look at the fruit of their lives. Think, think about who was there in that room. These are nobodies, uneducated, unknown, and yet God used them to begin the church that now, thousands of years later, billions of people have found peace with God through that ministry. We still are a fruit of that ministry. This is what God does. And he does it, he wants to keep doing it with us. I don't know what he's calling each of us to. It doesn't mean it's fostering ministry. It doesn't mean we're leaving our jobs. But if we have a heart to hear the spirit and follow his lead, it, it just begins with a prayer. Each morning, throughout the day, Holy Spirit, what are, you, what are you leading me to? What does God have for me today? Would you help me to be open to it and to not be fearful about wherever you're leading? Because wherever it is, even if it's disruptive, even if it puts me in a position where I'm uncomfortable or I'm out of my element, you're, you're there with me. And I'm gonna know Jesus more. I'm gonna see work. And that really has been my prayer for this series for us as a church that we would continue to be led by the Spirit and that we'd have amazing opportunities to see him work through us so that more and more people would know Jesus and grow in their faith as we will. So let's end with prayer and then we'll respond to God in worship. Lord Jesus, I'm thankful that, that you made it so clear that it's better for us. It's more advantageous to us that you went up to heaven, you left us your Spirit. I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you dwell within us. You know us intimately. You're, you're, you're leading and speaking in such a way that we can, we can be confident that God is at work. And I pray that would be true for us as a church. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would, you would lead us in steps of faith that, that scare us from an earthly point of view, but we have great confidence from a spiritual point of view. So help us in that. And I pray too for those that are maybe just contemplating faith, maybe yet wouldn't call themselves a Christian, those who are here, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would do a work in their hearts and their minds to enable them to see, see, you, see Jesus clearly and to respond in faith. And so I pray, please, that you would, you would bless us this day and through this series and grow us in every good way. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.